2, 5 through 11. Sometimes when I read scriptures, I feel like a high school girl that has a hundred best friends. This is one of my favorite scriptures among hundreds. Hear the words of the Lord. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. A few weeks ago, Pastor Keith stood in this spot and referenced a television program called Undercover Boss, where the head of a major corporation pretends to take on a servant role in their own corporation. As we read the scriptures today, I call your attention to this. There is no pretend in Jesus. He actually takes the servant's role in the creation that is completely created, owned, and mastered by him. He takes our place, substituting himself for us. He literally becomes our sin, our brokenness, our messy selves, humbling himself all the way. There is no reveal where he says, I was just pretending to be one of you. No, his redemption mission goes all the way, ultimately submitting to death on the cross so that we might have a chance, so that we might have a chance to be at one with God. That is why the scriptures say, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God. Hallelujah. The gospel message today is in Mark chapter 14. I'd encourage you to turn there or reference it on your mobile device. Last week we <coughs> celebrated, I'm sorry, <coughs> commemorated Palm Sunday, even though today is Palm Sunday. We know that because in the liturgical calendar, Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday is the same day, and we didn't believe that that gave us enough room to interpret the scriptures for you today. So, so today, uh, we're going to celebrate Passion Sunday. Last week was Palm Sunday. Hear these words of the gospel that point us to that. Now the, festival of the festiv- now, the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. Then Jesus Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. 
So he watched for an opportune time to hand him over. May we pray. Oh God, this morning we come and we know and we've been instructed that this is Passion Sunday. And Lord, it comes with that name because of the deep passion you had for us. You loved us so much that your heart literally burned for us. You had such deep passion for us that you separated yourself from all that was yours, all your kingly glory, all that was mastering of heaven and earth and became as one of us. Lord, there is no peer to the passion that you have for us. And Lord, as we come this morning, we see through the generations those that have seen your passion and thrown themselves into a similar faith-like passion for you. Particularly, we're reminded this morning as we read the news of the past week of our brothers and sisters in Congo and this morning, those that simply went to worship in Palm Sunday services in Egypt and were martyred, were murdered for their faith. Lord, the fire that must have burned in their hearts for you to go to church when they knew that doing so was clear and present danger for them. But we're grateful, Lord, that their souls were in no peril. And we're grateful for the passion that burnt in their hearts, the fire that burned in them that took them through the doorway of a Christian church to worship you. And Lord, we pray for that fire, or one like it, that could burn in us. And Lord, we too have passion for you. We too have a fire that burns in our soul. And we know, Lord, from time to time it needs stoking. And so we ask today, Lord, that you might stoke it up to an incredible blaze, that our lives may be nothing but passion lived out for you because of that which you have done for us this morning. Lord, we know that our our pastor, our friend, your son, Keith, is going to share that truth with us this morning. So I ask, Lord, that the fire of your Holy Spirit blaze in him. And that it consume us. Blaze, Holy Spirit, blaze in this place that is known as yours. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Mike. Good morning. So, I want to ask you a question in light of the scripture that Mike read this morning. Have you ever been accused of going overboard with something? Anybody? Has someone ever said to you, that's a little bit excessive? Perhaps you're gone, you've gone a little bit too far. You've, you've become carried away. You've gone overboard with something. Maybe it's the love that you have for a particular sports team that you have, that you are in love with. I think we could show you an example of one of those right there. What about this guy here? You think maybe he went a little bit overboard? You know, I mean, we have to give it up for the Cubs. It was their year last year. You know, they only get one every century. So... Maybe he went a little bit over, but what about this guy? I think maybe he went a little bit overboard too, huh? What do you think? Some of you are saying, no, that's just what we do. It's fine. He's not overboard. You know, so maybe you're not a sports person. Maybe you have some crazy hobby that, like, you are involved in and and, and you want to, you know, maybe someone has ever said to you, well, you go a little bit too far with your hobby. Maybe maybe you're like this guy here. And, And, I mean... I don't know if you can make that out, but he doesn't have a rope or anything around him. And I don't know, maybe like if you pull back the picture, like the ground is right there. I don't think so. I don't think so. I would never do that. 
So sometimes, you know, you have a hobby or something, and, and people say you go overboard, and, and maybe they would say, you should invest your time in things that are a little bit more productive. You know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't go overboard so far with those things. What about even things that are good? Like, let's say you exercise. Anybody go overboard with exercise? You know, what about this guy here? You know, he, he, he went a little bit overboard, perhaps. So sometimes even with good things, you go overboard. But what happens when it's particularly bad things that you go overboard with? Then what does that look like? Maybe like this. I don't know. Let's, let's see here, you know. Maybe that guy. Does he go to our church, Pastor Mike? Do you have seats next to him in a game or something? Or he should. He says he should. Well, let's face it. Sometimes when we take things farther than others, we can be accused of being excessive or extreme. Not everyone is inclined to be this way, are they? You know, let's face it. Some some of us are pretty medium or even boring, right? Maybe like this guy here. You know, <laughs> you can go back to the other. <laughs> he's he's bo- he's boring. You know, this is this is medium, right? Medium, boring. You know, you say, oh, I just lay on the couch and watch TV. Anybody ever go, get get a little overboard with that? It's not hard to do, is it? It's not hard to do, and oftentimes there's nothing more irritating to a regular person like this guy than someone who's extreme in what they do. It's especially true, if you haven't noticed, when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a person who is new to the faith, one of the things you need to understand is that the more devoted you become to your faith, the more you open yourself up to ridicule from other people, isn't it? It's true, isn't it? Unless all they see about your faith is that you're just a nice person to them. Then people like that. Now, why, why is that? I think it's sometimes because people have this idea that your faith is supposed to be a private thing that is personal and not to be on display for others. Additionally, many people feel that when others demonstrate their faith publicly, it's a sign of self-righteousness or judgment on others who don't. Kind of like Pastor Mike's story that he told last week about the, the African delegation front to General Conference who, when they began to worship God in the middle of that meeting, you know, I would have thought that would have inspired everyone to do the same, but instead it, it brought jeers and criticism. You know, sometimes when your faith is on display, people, they go nuts. They don't like it. I, I remember years ago, I started this thing called the verse of the day with a bunch of high school kids. And what I would do is I'd print out a Bible verse on a piece of paper and we'd cut these up in my office and then I would give, give these to kids on Sunday and then they'd take them to school and they'd give them to their friends during the week. And at first it was a little bit weird, you know, people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But, but within a couple weeks, the kids were telling me that their friends were asking them every day, hey, where's my verse? Where's my verse? Well, a few of those piece of paper made it to the floor of West High School in Davenport, Iowa. And some of the teachers, even some of the teachers in our own congregation, you know, they, they scolded me on that and said, you know, this is really a distraction and this is really over the top and shouldn't there be more of a, of a, of a way to keep the church in the church and, and let kids have school at school and, and, and they don't need to go overboard like that. Sometimes the most 
loudest or the loudest criticisms that we hear when we go overboard in terms of faith don't come from the world who doesn't believe in Jesus. They come from others around us who, who claim to, but maybe their faith isn't as strong as what they would hope. For the woman in our gospel reading, this was the, the case. This was her experience. She came into the house of the home of Simon the leper, which, by the way, what, what a horrible nickname is that, you know? But she came into his house, and she saw Jesus there, and she was on a mission to worship. Now, Mark's gospel doesn't name her, but John's gospel calls her Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So certainly she had a history with Jesus. He, he brought her brother back from the dead. She comes into this house with an alabaster jar filled with spikenard, which was a very expensive perfume. Typically, a person would would use only a small amount, if they had any, to anoint someone's head on a special occasion, or typically to use in embalming a, a person after they had passed away. And because it was so expensive, you could only keep just a small bit at a time. I tried to get some for this week to show you, but it was pretty hard to come by. Sometimes you'd have a jar of spike guard that was kept through a family and it was passed down because it wasn't the kind of thing that you could just go out and readily acquire. And she has this jar and she sees Jesus and it says in the text that she breaks the jar and dumps the entire contents onto his head. She says nothing. She asks nothing. She just pours it out. Her only action is to worship Jesus and to worship him extravagantly. Now you'd think that this act of worship, this beautiful act of worship, would cause those in the house of Simon the leper, especially the the disciples, to stand up and, and, and be so inspired and to look inwardly and, and, and say, wow, what an amazing display of worship. That's not what happened, is it? Some of them were offended, it says. Now, obviously, some were inspired after what Jesus did because we're reading about it and talking about it here today, just as Jesus said we would. But some of them, especially Judas, were offended by this display of worship. And I want to ask the question today, why do you think that is? Now, none of us can probably compare what we have done with this woman's sacrifice because we don't have spikenard lying around. We don't have that. But we certainly can experience the same type of indignation from others who are offended by extravagant worship. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is that in your life? Or when have you experienced that? When has anyone told you that you've gone overboard in your worship, that you've taken it a little bit too far when it comes to your faith, that you've wasted something on your faith or on your devotion to Christ or to the church, who has come to you and said, do you really need to do that publicly? Do you really need to say that? Do you really need to to have that or give that? You'd be surprised. It's interesting because extravagant can mean different things to different people, can't it, when it comes to worship? For, For some of us, extravagant is simply just coming to church. 
Because for some people, that's such a new, radical thing that they would give up part of their time to come to church. For others, extravagant might mean, you know, selling everything you own and becoming a missionary or giving something incredible to a, to a cause or, or helping someone in, in an amazing way. A, a friend of mine on Facebook the other day put out a post saying, please help, my wife needs a kidney. Is there anyone among my friends or family or my reach on Facebook who would consider donating theirs? Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? If you were to do something like that, think about it. What kind of indignation would you receive? Some might accuse you of wasting yourself. Or wasting what you do, your time spent given to the Lord. So I want to talk this morning for a few minutes about when worship is a waste. When it's a waste according to the world. And the first reason I want to talk about that it may be a waste is when it's expensive. When it's expensive. What does your worship cost you? I'm not necessarily talking about dollars, but I could be. Does it cost you your time? And if so, is it expensive? Expense has to do with, with how much, right? How much does it cost you? Is your worship expensive? Now, you only know how much you give, but does it cost you your energy? Does it cost you your attention? What about your money? What about your stuff? I know that people are tired of hearing about money in church, which is why Jesus would make a horrible pastor. Because he talked about it a lot, didn't he? But we don't want to hear about that because we're very connected to that. We're connected to our things and to our stuff and to our plans for what we're going to do with our lives. And when worship impedes on that, sometimes it can be considered a waste. So I'm asking you, what does it cost you to worship? Now, we don't take a cover charge to come in the church, obviously. But whether you give money or whether you give something else, some, your worship can be expensive. Think about those 37 people who went to church on Palm Sunday in Egypt who didn't come home. They went to church on Palm Sunday and they were killed. You know, there are horrible things that happen all over this world. But you know what's, what's, what just really challenges me even more? Is that wasn't the first time. Churches in Egypt were bombed in December. And you know what it says in the news this morning about those churches that were bombed yesterday? It says they were packed. You think that would happen in the United States? You think if something happened in a church, all the churches would be packed? <laughs> I doubt it. What did it cost them to worship? Our H8 team, Haiti 8, we're going to pray them out of here later today. They're getting ready to head down. And they'll, they'll do ministry with a, with a ministry called RTS Missions, which is administered by a man named Greg and his wife Maria. And Greg and Maria Shepherd had a pretty nice life for themselves in Florida. And things were going fine for them, and they had received this burden from God to take care of these people in Haiti. So they sold everything that they owned... And they moved to a country where they didn't speak the language, where they had 
a few connections from people, but mostly they would be out on their own. And they have proceeded to give themselves in about every sense you can imagine for the kingdom of God in Haiti and the mission to the people in Haiti. Pretty expensive, isn't it? What did that cost them? But be warned, when you give what is expensive, the world will say it's a waste. When is worship a waste? How about this? When it's precious. When it's precious. What do you have that's precious in your life? Think about that. The most precious thing you own in your life is you, right? Now, if you're a parent, you're saying, no, it's my children. And I get that too. But ultimately, you can't control your children once they get to a certain age, which is about a year, (laughs) right? Think about that. You can't control them. The most precious thing you own is you, and worship should be giving Jesus your best, that which is precious, not your leftovers. The scripture tells us that we give our bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's talk about your bodies for a moment. I showed you the big weightlifting picture, right? Let's talk about that. Not weightlifting, but your body. What are you doing with your body? Think about that. It matters to God. Do you consider your body and what you do with it as an act of worship? Your body is the most precious thing to you. And as a Christian, you are called to offer it to the Lord in worship. Which again is why it's awesome when you come to church. Because when you get up in the morning and you get yourself ready and you dress yourself and you come to church, you walk in this place physically, you, you, you stand when we worship the Lord, you greet those people around you, you, you kneel, you, you receive communion, you, you stand and sing. Those are all things that you're doing with your body. You're offering your body to the Lord. You don't just wake up and think about God and go, well, that's good enough. When you come to church, you come to Him physically. You offer yourselves by being here. That's an act of worship. Just by coming to church, it's an act of worship that you do with your body. But what else? That's why it's important. You offer your body to the Lord in your physical relationships. Because I know it's not popular today, but what you do with your body in your physical relationships... That matters to God. That matters to God. You offer your body to the Lord in the service of others. The world will not understand giving God your body, that which is most precious to you, and you will be called fanatical and brainwashed and foolish oftentimes, sometimes just for showing up. Because guess what? Your body can only be in one place at one time, right? So when your body's here, it's not somewhere else. And when your body's not somewhere else, oftentimes the somewhere else fusses, don't they? Think about that. You worship with what's precious. And oftentimes it's called a waste. How about this? When worship is a waste, when nothing is held back. Do we have that concept for us? What does it look like for us? Now, 
this woman in the gospel didn't even provide a remote possibility for anything to be held back in her worship, did she? It says that she took that, that, that jar, and when Jesus came in, she didn't just like scoop out some, you know, and give it to him. She didn't even just pour some on him. It says that she took that jar and she destroyed it. She shattered it. She broke the vessel that contained this precious and expensive gift. And the reason why she did that was because she didn't want there to be any possibility that even a drop of it wouldn't fall onto Jesus. She, she didn't want to do that. She didn't, want to, she didn't want to go home with this jar and look down at the bottom and see some left and think to herself, Oh, that could have been put on Jesus. So she completely destroyed anything that would have kept her from holding anything back. This gets me every single time that I read that because it's so challenging, isn't it? When you think about it, we aren't used to displays like this in our culture. For us, our worship is often filtered through things that hold us back, right? Things like schedules, things like checkbooks, things like a clock, right? Things like, uh, you know, attention span or desire or preference of musical styles, or of pastoral preaching styles, or what somebody's wearing. We, we oftentimes filter all of these things through our own lens of self, and then we see what's left, and then we offer a portion of that to God. What can we give to God? That which is expensive and precious, to which we can hold nothing back. You know, I can't answer that for you. But I can only tell you that what God is calling you to give beyond what the scriptures would require of all of us is between you and God. And I'm betting that he can tell you. The question becomes, when he does, will we listen? Huh. Will we obey? That's the tough part. That's the tough part. It's the obedience. It's not often the things that that we don't know what God wants. It's the things that we do know what God wants, whether we'll do it or not. And we're really good at filtering some of that out when it's going to cost us a lot. So I'm asking you this question, when to dump it all out? When is it time in your life to just say, all right, enough's enough. God, here I am. I'm breaking this vessel and dumping it all out for you. Well, one answer, and it's this, when you have the chance, when you have the chance, that's when you dump it all out. This woman, she saw her chance. Jesus was in town, right? He was in her town. He was there. He had showed up in Bethany, and she had her chance She walked right into that house. She didn't wait for an invite. She didn't wait for Jesus to come out. And and she, she made it her opportunity. There was Jesus. She didn't say, well, I'll find him later. I'm kind of busy right now. You know, there's much scripture that speaks about the need to respond when you have the chance. Isn't there? Think about that. 
Think of the parable that Jesus told of the king who, would, who threw a great feast and he sent his servants out with invitations and said, go and, and invite these guests. And the guests turned him down and they said, oh, well, I'm busy. I have this. I have that. And, and, and you know, maybe I'll come later. And, and the king was, was, was furious and he said, okay, well, then go and invite, you know, these other people. And, and then some of them came and he said, well, my house, there's still room. I want it filled. I want everybody here. So he says, go and invite the, the, the people in town who nobody cares about, those who, who, who are lame and poor and sick, bring them in here. And they came. And then some who were first invited decided now it was convenient for them to come. So they did and were cast out. Because you don't go when you want, you go when you're invited to a party. If you invite me to your wedding and the wedding starts at 2 o'clock, I can't say, well, I'll show up at 5.30, you'll wait. No. The person invited doesn't dictate the time. The person doing the inviting does. And Jesus is inviting each of us to serve him, to sacrifice for him, to give for him, to offer ourselves for him. You have the chance. Will you take it? Or will we say no? Think of the many in Scripture who came to Jesus. Oh, I want to follow you. I want to be your, your disciple. I want to go where you go and do what you do. And, and, be like, and Jesus never said, nope, sorry, you're not good enough. Never. He never said, sorry, you're the wrong color. Or your family doesn't make enough money. Or you're not smart enough. Or you're the wrong this. Or you're the wrong that. Or you're not the right type of person for me. Jesus would never do that. Anyone who came to him, he said, Absolutely. You can come to me, but you have to follow me. So let's go. And what they say? Oh, okay, great. But first, I got to go and fix this thing. I got to go take care of my business. I got to go deal with my family. I got to go do all these things or this or that. And Jesus never said, it's cool. We'll just chill here. We'll wait for you. He didn't do that either. You see, if you want to follow Jesus, hear me. You get the chance. But recognize this. You're going to follow him. He's not going to follow you. You're going to follow him. So here's the question. When do you have that chance? And guess what? There's an answer to this question. And the answer is right now. You know, I don't know what your life's going to look like tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to look like next week. But I know that right now you have the chance to follow Jesus. You have the chance to offer yourself to Him that which is expensive, that which is precious, and that which cannot be held back. Now, you might feel like that's a great thing for you right now, but next week you might become burdened down by the world and you might not think about it. You might decide today, yes, I know that there's something in my life that I need to sacrifice or give up for God. I know there's a sin in my life that I'm living in and, and, and making excuses for and acting like it's no big deal. And right now I'm feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit to repent of that and turn from that. Right now you might be saying, you know, I really haven't really fully given myself to Jesus in my heart and now I need to do that. I've been holding back and, and today's the day I want to make that decision and, and, and follow through with it. You may feel that way right now, but tomorrow you may feel differently. Chances aren't just about whether you have the capacity. Chances are about whether you have the inclination. So when you do... 
take it. Don't waste that. Now here's what Jesus did in response to what this woman did and what the disciples did. He said, leave her alone. What she has done is a beautiful thing. She did what she could. And because of it, her story will be told wherever the gospel is preached. Here's what I want to point out to you this morning. She has done what she could. Do we? She's done what she could. Do we? You can only do what you can do. Understand that. So do what you can. Give what you can. Don't try to be someone else. Don't worry about someone, what someone else should be doing or what someone else is doing. Don't look at what someone else is doing who's making a greater sacrifice than you are and, and, and hate them and be indignant toward them like the disciples were. And on the other side of the coin, don't look at someone else who isn't yet where you are in your faith and look down on them like they're somebody that, you know, is a horrible person. Don't judge anybody else either way. Only think about yourself and do what you can. Now, when we say in our culture, do what you can, that typically means you have a way out of doing what you should. Because we say, well, I did what I could. I can only do so much. When typically what that means is I can only do so much after I've done everything else that I want to do for myself. Then a portion of what's left, that's what I can do. That's not how this comes to us this morning. You can do a lot of things if you want to do. We saw the slides earlier of what human beings can do, can't we? Right? The question is, would you want to do any of those things? You can do what this woman did. You don't have spike nard, but you have a body that can go and worship Jesus. You you don't have a a, a jar of ointment, but maybe you have something else. You can can do what she did in, in terms of what context makes sense for you. So focus on that. Do what you can. How this prepare Jesus for his death? That's what another thing he said too. You ever thought about that? He said, what she has done is prepared me for my burial. Now, of course, spikenard was, a, was a, an ointment that you would put on a, on a person after they'd passed. One of, the, one of the things that you would do to someone. And for probably one of the only times in his earthly life, Jesus' body was treated beautifully. Think about that. What did he deserve? He's the most beautiful person to ever walk the face of the earth. We, we read about, or Pastor Mike read to us about, about the sacrifice he made when he came from heaven and he became one of us, divine creator all-powerful God in human forms. That's a body that should be treated beautifully. And yet he walked the countryside, was homeless, no place to lay his head, according to himself. His body would be beaten and bruised and, and sacrificed and crucified. And yet here in this brief time in his life, his body for once was treated beautifully. Think about that. Now we come to Christ in our sin. And this woman certainly had her own 
But when we anoint Jesus with our greatest worship, like her, we show him our greatest love and gratitude. So, how can we treat the body of Christ beautifully today? I'll tell you. By pouring out ourselves for the church, his body. Jesus said in Matthew 25, Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me. Whenever you help someone, whenever you serve someone, whenever you pour yourself out for one of Jesus' own, you have done so to him. He identifies himself with his church, with his children. And when you see one in need and you reach yourself out in love, when you anoint another, when you serve another, you serve Jesus. When Saul was on his horse headed to Damascus to persecute Christians and Jesus knocked him off his horse in Acts chapter 9, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I wasn't doing anything to you. I'm just getting these Christians. But recognize that according to Jesus, when you mess with his kids, you're messing with him. Think about that. Consequently, when you serve, when you love, when you protect, when you anoint his kids, you anoint him. The best way to honor Jesus is to worship him fully and completely, though, in spirit and in truth. As he told the woman at the well in John 4, so do it extravagantly with all that you have today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this woman's display, for what she's done. Lord, may it inspire us to do likewise. May we give ourselves completely to you. Reveal that to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a look at this video. Our involvement with uh, Marian Methodist and, and um, has really been strengthened and, and our, uh, our faith has really been strengthened through the small group process. Um, our, our small group is, a, is just a wonderful group of individuals that have helped Deb and I both spiritually and, and uh, um, through, through our own challenges, um, through challenges with, uh, with our, our family and, and uh, that process has just really strengthened our faith and, mm-hmm. and uh, our understanding. It, they, they're here to be with us and it's strengthened our belief and we've been more outgoing, you know, outspoken about our faith and it never, probably never would have arrived to that. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful life here. I think the space will be the the new the space for the new church, the accessibility, the um, the ability to to get together as a larger group and 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 share experiences will just be a, a wonderful experience. It's just going to be nice to have a nice kitchen and a bigger space where we can um, do a, um, just do it easier and just be able to um, host. We want to host more. Of the district events, we've been asked, but it'll be it'll open it to more, um, more programs and stuff for our groups. So. And the the new fellowship hall with mm. with accessibility, mm. it'll be on on a 
new level and single level. And, exactly. And I think that'll be just wonderful. Oh, that's going to be wonderful. For, for events. 